Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. I have a Bible study episode for you all today. We haven't done one of these in a long time, but I really enjoy them, so I hope you do too. Uh, We're in the middle of a sermon series on unity here at Bethany, and so this Bible study explores Matthew chapter 18, which is uh, some words and some store, a parable from Jesus that really talks about unity in an interesting way. I have a lot more to say about that. I'll save it. But as always, thanks for listening to the podcast, for your support of this. Continue to share these episodes with family and friends who might be looking for just a little way to encourage their faith throughout the week. Uh, The great part about podcasts is you can listen to it from anywhere at any time. Uh, As always, thanks for your support. But now, a Bible study based on Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. We're at Bethany in the middle of a sermon series about unity. And so Pastor Gary preached, I preached, I think there's another week of this where we're just kind of exploring what this idea might mean. As the pastors of the church, Gary and I have really talked about and and noticed that unity is something that we think is very important for our world and something that Bethany is uniquely positioned to really lean into and embrace as well. And, And so just continually putting the emphasis on unity, we're hoping will enable all of us to look around us in the world too and see different opportunities where we can cultivate and foster unity, where we can embrace healthy dialogue and learn from one another even if we disagree at the key points. This is just something so important for our divided world today. And so with that in mind, I wanted to lead us through a Bible study today. One, because we haven't done a Bible study episode in forever, but also because uh, we're going to be looking at the theme of forgiveness, which I think is very related to this theme of unity. Forgiveness is this point and this opportunity for us to let go of the differences, to let go of a disagreement, to let go of a wrongdoing, to forgive someone and therefore maintain relationship and maintain community, maintain unity. So looking at forgiveness and what the scriptures tell us about it, I think, is one of the key ways that we are commissioned and called by God to live in this world, and that promotes unity, continuing and maintaining relationships despite disagreements. And so I've got a passage for us from the book of Matthew, but before I even jump into it, I mean, if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. I'll say that again in a second, but but first... Just a word about Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel uh, likely was written a little bit later uh, than Mark, at least. Probably used the book of Mark as um, a resource, a source in many things. There's definitely points where it looks like entire passages from Mark were lifted and put into Matthew's gospel. But additionally, it seems that Matthew had a real focus. He was trying to write to a uh, a Jewish community in a lot of ways, trying to highlight again and again for the people the ways that Jesus fulfilled the Hebrew scriptures. And so Matthew has all sorts of quotes from scripture all throughout, continually pulling passages from the Old Testament in order to cite them. But in addition to that, Matthew also um, seems to be writing to the early Christian church, to a community that has already formed. We'll see that really clearly in our passage today, uh, but I just wanted to point it out at the start as well that Matthew kind of had a group of people in mind. Early Christians 
or um, early Jews who were interested in Christianity. But, but again, very clear that Christian community had already formed. And so Matthew takes some stories about Jesus, and sometimes um, scholars believe offers his own little interpretation of, of why Jesus might have said this or what this particular parable may mean now for the early Christian church that's struggling to survive in um, the first century. So just to give you that idea, it'll make total sense why I'm telling you all this as soon as we start reading the passage. Uh, So there's your little preamble, a little info about the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And now we look at Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. In verse 21, we read, Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Okay, let's stop there. Here is something that maybe you didn't pick up on uh, when we just read that, but (laughs) Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me. Here's the thing. Scholars are pretty sure Peter never said anything like this. You want to know why? Because the church didn't exist when Peter was a disciple following Jesus around. The church comes much later, after the Pentecost event, after Jesus' death and resurrection. In those days, there was a Jewish community, and they went to the synagogue, but no one called it the church. Uh, And and so that's a very particular word that is used there, a very particular idea. And it kind of, again, shows us what I was saying in the beginning, that, that, that Matthew maybe has altered some stories just a little bit in order to make them connect better with the audience he's writing to, with that first century church. And so this question that, P- that he puts in Peter's mouth is probably a question that many people within the early Christian church were asking. How many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? And though then Jesus responds, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. In other words, Jesus is giving an astronomical number. Uh, other translations Um, say seven times 77. Uh, It just depends. The Greek there is a little confusing, so it's not exactly sure. Did Jesus say 77 times or 77 times seven times? But the idea, again, is just a huge number. And, And here's the other piece to it. Peter, as a good Jewish boy, would have known the laws. And the laws stated that you should forgive three times. And so Peter is kind of coming here asking this question almost in jest, um, almost sucking up, saying like, oh, I, I'm such a good, faithful person. Jesus, should I forgive seven times? Right? He's more than doubled the agreed upon number of forgivenesses. <laughs> and so he's doing this to kind of show off to Jesus. And then Jesus turns it back around and it's like, no, not even seven times, Peter, 77 times. So it's just a funny little uh, interaction between the two kind of, you know, Jesus is always calling us to even expand upon the general sense of the law. Just, let me just say a little more about that, right? There's the law, the, the, the general agreed upon religious right ways to do things, the religious correct ways to do things. And, and so within Judaism, there's a whole bunch of laws that kind of govern all of life. And throughout the Gospels, and in particular, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus comes along and often makes all of these rules harder. Seriously, right here we see that, you know, you don't have the context, but I told you 
that the agreed upon idea within Judaism is that you'll forgive three times. And Jesus says, no, not three times, not seven times, 77 times. Jesus constantly is calling us to a, a more and more faithful way of living out these laws, uh, an even more intense way of being compassionate and caring and kind and loving. And so on one hand, it can feel as if Jesus, yes, he, he's raising the bar, upping the standards for us. But again, what's also really beautiful is while he does that, of course, his message of grace always is underlying it too. That frankly, none of us can actually live up to the lofty standards that Jesus sets. And that's kind of the point, that it's always about what God does for us, not about what we are able to achieve or accomplish on our own. And so it's this interesting thing of, yeah, Jesus always raising the standard, expecting more from us, and at the same time, doing so in such a way so that we'll learn to more fully rely on God. Pretty cool. But let's get into um, what happened. So there's this little interaction that we just read, and now let's continue on in our reading and see what Jesus says next, because he's going to tell a parable. Verse 23. For this reason, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. I just want to stop there. Jesus uses the term kingdom of heaven. And we often think that that word just means heaven. And so we start to picture angels on clouds playing harps, eating cream cheese. However, the kingdom of heaven is actually the same phrasing as kingdom of God. In Matthew, or in the Gospel of Mark and Luke and John, Jesus usually talks about the kingdom of God. And this is a very here and now reality. This isn't heaven that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about things coming to earth as it is in heaven. Here in Matthew's gospel, however, usually Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. Why would he do that? Well, because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And in Judaism, it is not proper to use the name of God. They often don't speak it. Um, legend has it that right, scribes, when they wrote the, term, the word Yahweh, when translating the scriptures, would then throw out that pen and use a new pen out of respect for the holiness of God's name. And so throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew changes the language and Jesus always speaks about the kingdom of heaven, uh, whereas in the other gospels, it's the kingdom of God, but both of them are the same thing. Jesus is trying to usher in a new reality where heaven comes to earth. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. So, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven slash God, kingdom of God. The kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. Okay, stop there. 10,000 talents is an absolutely absurd amount of money. It is honestly the largest possible number that could be conceived of, uh, maybe not literally, but just to put it in context, one talent was about 15 years worth of wages. So this is 150 thousand years worth of wages that somehow this poor slave has incurred in debt. I mean, it's such an absurd amount of money that it um, it's impossible that any one individual could have incurred that much debt, um, let alone pay back that much debt. Just to put it in further context, King Herod, 
King Herod's tax income each year was 900 talents. So this debt that has been incurred is beyond calculation. And right, this is a parable. This isn't a true story. Jesus is telling a story with some exaggerated details in order to make his point. So the slave owes an absurd amount of money and he he won't be able to pay everything back. He knows it and the king knows it. And so he's just, yeah, it's impossible. Let's continue. So the slave fell on his knees before the king saying, have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. (laughs) Sidebar. No, he won't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's no way that he'll be able to pay this back. And he knows it. And the king knows it. The king can be infinitely patient. Uh, That won't matter because there's no way you're paying back 150,000 years worth of wages. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave his debt. Okay. The king responds with compassion and forgives a literally impossible debt. So this is not just some clever bookkeeping that the king does. This is an incredible act of mercy. Verse 28. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he says, pay what you owe. And then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Okay, pause there. So a hundred denarii is nothing compared to 10,000 talents. Um, A denarii is about a day's worth of wages. So a hundred denarii, about a hundred days worth of work. Certainly a substantial sum to a substantial sum to the slave, but obviously nothing compared to the debt that he has been forgiven. And it's interesting, the servant, right, like this one who owes him money, literally uses the same phrase. Have patience with me and I will pay you. That's exactly what the original slave said to the king who was settling his debts. So, right, a good parable telling Jesus is clearly trying to draw the comparisons for us to help us see. And let's see what happens next. Verse 30. But he refused. And then he went and threw this slave into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to their Lord, all that had taken place. So here's what's interesting. The the one slave's inability to forgive here, right? And and the the cruelty that he shows this man who owes him a hundred denarii. This, as we're told, upsets the community, right? The other slaves saw what happened and they're greatly distressed. It not only affects the servant, obviously, who's been thrown in prison. And by the way, if you're thrown in prison, how is he going to earn money in order to repay the debt, right? Like it's also an absurd action on this man's part, as well as being completely lacking in compassion or understanding of reality. But yeah, it upsets the community and, and it puts this slave in a position where he literally can't repay the debt. He's in prison. And, and so this is part of the point of the parable. Lack of mercy, lack of forgiveness. It's bad for the community as a whole. It breaks down unity. It tears us apart. And even those who are not directly affected are still harmed by a lack of forgiveness in the community. That's part of what Matthew's getting at in the way that he is telling this parable. Well, this is what Jesus is getting at. And this is how Matthew's portraying it. Let's keep going. Verse 32. 
Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And so the king is noticing and, and pointing out just the hypocrisy of what's taken place. Many scholars believe um, that the actual parable probably ended with this next line in verse 33. The, the master said, Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? It was often, right, parables were often meant to just uh, lead people into questions and curiosity. And so it would make a lot of sense for a parable to kind of end with this hypothetical question that's being asked that then the hearer would themselves have to confront. Should we not have mercy on someone else as God has had mercy on us? This is part of what's being set up in this whole story. And so, yeah, scholars think maybe it ended here that Jesus was posing this question. Jesus doesn't want us to see God as the king in this passage, someone who takes forgiveness back. Rather, Jesus wants to have his disciples consider how much God has done for them and then show that same mercy and grace to others. Let's keep going because there are a couple more verses in this section that likely got added later. And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father were also due to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So again, scholars kind of think that Jesus probably ended it with this question and, and not having talked about a king taking back the forgiveness, right? I think that's part of what troubles scholars is that that just doesn't really fit with a lot of the other things that Jesus had said and done. Um, and there's probably some language pieces that I, I'm just not smart enough to understand <laughs> that affect them thinking that this is a different, um, different type of writing and style than the original parable. And so, yeah, here, um, it, it, right, like it, it is problematic to think that God would take back forgiveness. Uh, and that's what happens in the parable, right? It's kind of Matthew setting up the severity of the situation um, in order to help emphasize for the Christian community how important forgiveness is, right? Matthew seems to be saying, if you don't forgive, God will punish you and the entire church will fall apart. Um, and, and And so... We need, we need to kind of wrestle with these pieces. It's hard when scripture is written in such a way um, for us to, to understand, you know, what's trying to be told here. But I think the ultimate point of the parable is one to really consider. For us to reflect on how much God has forgiven in us. And it's really true. None of us are perfect. And I'm sure we've all done things that we're not proud of. And yet, we know that God continually extends grace and love and mercy to us. We know that there are still blessings in our life that come from God that we don't deserve. And that's part of how this parable is framed for us to recognize that 10,000 talents worth of sin, 10,000 talents worth of debt we've incurred in our lifetime, an absurd amount, and God forgives it. And so if God is willing to be this gracious with us, well then, yes, we are called to forgive the little slights that come our way, the hundred denarii, oh, the hundred denarii mistakes of our fellow human beings. And part of the reason why this is so important is because it affects the whole community. 
if we hold a grudge against one other person because of something that they've done, that affects not just that person, not just us, but the community as a whole. The Christian church can't thrive if we're constantly trying to settle scores and lord mistakes over our fellow church members. So I want to turn back just briefly, if you want to in your own Bible, so if you're following along, just back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This is another part of Matthew's gospel where Matthew writes, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew seems to continually be trying to make this point to the Christian church of just how important it is for them to forgive one another and maintain unity. Right? It's the same point that he makes in the parable. And this is part of why scholars think that this is an addition that Matthew is continually coming back to, right? That God won't forgive you if you don't forgive other people. Uh, certainly within our Lutheran understanding, that's not how we think about things, right? Forgiveness is a continual gift from God, an act of grace, and it doesn't require specific action on our part. It is a free gift that we receive again and again. And, and, and it is 10,000 talents worth of debt that God forgives. Um, but again, Matthew's main point, he's trying to emphasize it because he knows how important it is, you know, given that the early Christian church is in its infancy. It's not a force within the world and within community. It is a struggling underdog. And it's so important for them to stick together, to forgive one another. And so maybe that's why Matthew put this like cosmic level of, <laughs> of tension and pressure on the situation. You have to forgive others because if you don't, it will really hurt the church. And so that's why I'm going to say that God will punish you if you don't forgive others. To kind of tie it all together, though, um, the, while God doesn't punish us if we fail to forgive one another, like, we frankly incur our own punishment through that process. It hurts us. It hurts our soul. It hurts other people. It hurts our communities when we try to hold on to our grudges for a long time. And so maybe not, it's not a direct, you know, punishment from God, but we kind of incur our own punishment when we lack compassion, when we fail to forgive, when we fail to continually foster unity in our churches and our community. These are hard words. This is a hard task to do. Forgiveness is not easy. It takes a lot of vulnerability and courage, but it is what, who we're called to be. Um, and we are called to be that, frankly, because God extends incredible forgiveness to us first. And so in light of and in response to the gifts we've received from God, we then respond with our own generosity and forgiveness to others. Hope you enjoyed some fun thoughts on unity and forgiveness and Matthew chapter 18. I love doing these Bible study podcasts. I just have a lot of fun sharing the scriptures with you all. Hope you enjoyed it as well. As always, feel free to um, like and subscribe, you know, and send this podcast off to family and friends. We love seeing the listener base grow. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay in peace.